This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. I wish we were about to tell a story of someone who contracted COVID-19, fought it off, and now, woo, everything's fine. It would be great to be able to tell that story. But instead, what we're going to do is tell a real story. And we're going to tell the story of someone who we got to meet a couple of months ago. Brian Taylor, part of the Guelph Storm OHL Championship team in 2014, played at the Memorial Cup that was played in London that year, very nearly won the Memorial Cup. And now, six years later, Brian is in the midst of quite a battle. I mentioned earlier that we were walking down the sidewalk today, my wife and I, and we had to kind of run up and around a tree because it was a narrow sidewalk. And the guy who we passed by who stayed on the sidewalk says, you know, it's missed us. You don't have to run around that tree. And uh, that's an attitude that a lot of people have. The virus is still out there. Some people treat it as a joke. Brian, thanks so much for joining us again on London Live. Let's ask you that question. Is COVID-19 a joke? Absolutely not. And greetings, Mike. It's a pleasure to be on with you again. Um, as we spoke before, I wish we were in the position of talking OHL hockey instead of coronavirus, but so it is. Well, I think it's really important to talk about this. We'll have plenty of time to talk OHL hockey, you and I. Don't worry. Plenty of time to do that. But in the mid- in the meantime, we've got to talk about this. We've got to talk about what you're going through. So let's let's kind of review some things. Let's go back in time. You were on London Live on May the 5th, and you had tested positive for COVID-19. Take us back to that particular time and what was happening in your life. Sure. At that point, um, I was about two weeks in and thinking that uh, hopefully I was coming out of the woods and had seen the worst of it and was going to be the typical uh, two-week recovery and getting back to normal kind of thing. Um, And I I believe you remember me mentioning at the time that the symptoms were uh, throughout the whole thing very squirrely. They would they would go away. I'd have a couple good days, and and they'd be just minimal, and then they'd come raging back. And that pattern kind of continued and just continued and and drug on. Um, I have lost some of the eight symptoms that I was suffering, um, and those that are remaining uh, are for the most part reduced. But I'm still suffering with them, and they still follow that same recurring cycling pattern where I'll have a couple, two, two, three good days where they're uh, more manageable, and then they come raging back. And you say come raging back. So what is that like? Is it like getting sick all over again? No, not at not like getting sick all over again, but it, it's more of a case where there you feel like you know not much is changing, and that where you thought you were out of the woods, you're you're not able to see it. We are talking with Brian Taylor. Brian was about two weeks into a fight with COVID nineteen on May fifth, and you just heard Brian say it. 
he's still fighting this thing. It's still kind of there, and, and it still comes raging back at some points. So, Brian, what kind of symptoms are you dealing with right now? Well, I've lost the headaches and, and the sore throat and the chills and, and the little bit of a dry cough that I, I had at the outset. I still have chest pressure, although that's more nominal nowadays than, than anything. Uh, the, the major problems are the body aches and fatigue. And that is fairly common among the what's now called being referred to as long haulers, COVID-19 long haulers that uh, are now you're starting to see the stories pop up in the news about uh, people who don't recover in a normal period of time. And uh, I, I had been thinking that, you know, you start thinking you're an island and that uh, you wonder if there's anybody out there that's like you. And, and it's kind of been a small blessing to find out that there are, there are a whole lot of other people who are in the same boat that I am at this point. Yeah, and that's something that, again, we're learning about as we continue to get more scientific information about COVID-19. How often do you go and see the doctor? Well, I consult with the, the doctor um, periodically as as needed. I, I also, you know, still take my my oxygen level and, and heart rate numbers uh, daily. They're, they're uh, you know, um, they've been all along good. I haven't had any, any problems with oxygen or breathing. Uh, I've been fortunate in that regard. Uh, there are a lot of people who who have had it. And, and, you know, that's one of the thing about uh, tuning in with some of the support groups that I've come into contact with as I, I start to see other people's stories and similarities and then other people who are at the same point that I am but, but have worse symptoms. And yet those symptoms will not go away. So, so they have more severe symptoms, but they are also what you would term long haulers? Correct. Brian Taylor joining us on London Live as we talk about the fight with COVID-19. Brian, you're still testing yourself every once in a while, or, or is this something that you're just kind of dealing with? Are you, are you still getting COVID-19 tests? No, I I will be tested again at, at some point. Um, Typically, they like you to be symptom-free for the better portion of a week before you'll get retested. Um, I'm, it's funny, when, when you mentioned the term testing myself, I, I physically test myself in terms of what I can do as far as, um, you know, normal, normal things that would put strain on my fatigue and um, try, to, try to see what I can do. Um, some days, uh, I can do more physically than others, um, before the fatigue sets in and, uh, then others, uh, a simple taking, taking the dog out for a walk can present a problem. Really? And I mean, how much of a problem? So let's take the dog walking for an example. So you get the leash on the dog, you go out, what do you feel? Uh, typically on, on a good day, it, it would be no problem. On a on a not so good day, it would be where a, a simple taking the dog out for a walk. I would need to to sit down and relax for uh, a period of time afterwards because you just feel like you're exhausted. 
because you are dealing with so much that is unknown, what is that like for you? Well, it's, you know, like we spoke about before, normally when you're, you're sick, you sort of have in your head that things follow a predictable pattern. You get sick, you bottom out, and then you slowly get better. And everything about this virus is in cycles. And even what I had hoped to be the, the recovery period after a couple of weeks has been in cycles. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, so, there's so much about the virus that we don't know. We're learning as we go along. It's what I call the, the moving target factor. And there's so much information out there. There's so many conflicting ideas and narratives that you run into. Um, you really have to sort through and, and find out what's, what's good and what's not. And uh, since you had me on in early May, I've been keeping up with your coverage of the pandemic, and you've done a wonderful job covering all aspects of COVID-19 for your listeners. And uh, I'd just like to say I truly hope that the fine people in London appreciate the great job you're doing bringing them the best possible information that you can. Uh, it's really nice of you to say. We're just here doing the, the little job that we can do in order to try and, and bring that, that correct information, that up-to-date information. And getting stories like yours, you can't get better than saying, hey, what has this been like for you? And anybody who's kind of running around and saying, ah, this is nothing or, you know, our biggest issue i think right now is low case counts in southwestern ontario in so many places and having people say well the virus isn't here yeah but it's still out there somewhere and if you do contract it there is a chance that this is going to weigh you down for a long time how are you doing emotionally brian well it's a struggle it really is because you number one you're dealing with the fact that you have the virus and in terms of how society looks at you, you you know you sort of have in your mind that that you're a leper already because you're 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 marked as someone who is sick and has the disease. And I you know I I love to get to a point where I can deal with that once I I get back out there and resume a, a somewhat normal normal life again. But uh, as long as you're still mired in it like I am, you, it really, really plays in your, in your mind that, you, like I said, you start feeling like, like, you know, is there anybody else out there that's going through this like I am? And it's good to know that, you know, not that you want to have other people in the same boat as you, but it's good to know that there are others out there that are just not in the habit for a couple weeks and you recover category. Well, you have been so incredibly strong through this. So keep that strength because even to tell this story is tough and you do it so well. So, Brian, thank you so much for your time and agreeing to come on with us again and simply sharing the facts of this is what it's like. Before we let you go, if you could say something, anything to people who kind of slough this off, what would it be? Take it serious. Do whatever you can to avoid it. Um, I know we've done a, a great job here in Michigan. I'm, I'm not 
really familiar with the numbers in, in Ontario and in Canada, but we've done a really great job in trying to contain the virus here in Michigan, and our numbers were looking good for a while, but now we're starting to, to see some, in the last couple of days, the case counts are, are going up, and it's because people have relaxed as we've opened up our uh, environment here. People are just not taking it seriously, and, and it's they're, they're assuming that life is back to normal, and I think that's why we're, we're starting to see the numbers increase the way they were, is because people, I don't think, are taking it as serious as they were. Yeah, well, like you say, I mean, Michigan was down at 164 cases, or even one day there was a really low case number, and now up around 434, and everything does seem to go hand-in-hand with the reopening and with people relaxing. So thank you so much for describing your situation, Brian. We wish you all the best, and we'll continue to think positively for you, and I hope you see more good days than bad days, and eventually I hope you see nothing but good days. Thank you very much, Mike. My pleasure. You have a great weekend. You as well. That's Brian Taylor. Brian lives in Michigan, has all kinds of ties to Ontario, and uh, he's been fighting COVID-19 since before May. And as he says, every once in a while, it just comes raging on back. The chills, the fatigue, it won't go away. He's finally over things like headaches, and he still feels kind of that pressure on his chest. This is two months of this. Two months. When our next guest was playing in the Canadian Football League and teams were going through their meetings to begin a week looking at their next opponent, you could always tell when they were playing a team he was on because somewhere up around where the defensive backs sat, there'd be this little, uh, we're going up against Morialli. Man, is he tough to bring down. Man, is he tough to bring down. Sometimes you needed three people and you still couldn't do it. Well, he has two gray cups. He has all kinds of football accolades, but now has switched his focus to basketball as the commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, and they are set to become the first league in Canada to return to play. And given that we have leagues that don't have big TV contracts in London, it's going to be useful to find out what they are doing so that maybe if we're looking at the London Knights or the London Nationals or the London Lightning or the Western Mustangs or whatever it happens to be in this city, that we try and figure out how they're doing it. And maybe, just maybe, it gives a glimmer of hope that we see local sports able to get something done similarly in the future. Please welcome to London Live, Mr. Mike Morialli. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for the intro there. It made me feel uh, like I want to run out of tunnel again or something like that. But uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me on. Hey, I've seen some of the highlights. There's that one highlight where you were being tackled by three guys, didn't go down, and then lateraled to somebody. Who oh, I think ran it in for a touchdown. So that, that's it's well deserved. I that's my favorite one, so you got a good one. <laughs> okay, good. Good. Well, let's talk some basketball. Uh, first off, let's talk about what took you to the basketball world. A lot of people will finish their careers, and they will find employment in the sport that they just finished participating in. Uh, you've gone from a pointy-ended ball to a very round orange ball. What took you from one to the other? Well, I mean, it's it, it, it's a great question, and it's something that it kind of I didn't plan or anticipate my, my goal uh, after playing was obviously to remain in football and be, become part of the fabric of the CFL. And I ended up 
being the uh, president of the CFL Players Association. That stopped in 2014. And then, you know, my, my desire was, oh, I'd love to catch on from a business perspective in the league. But the league is rather small. So it's, you know, there's only a handful of spots. And it, as, the, as the years went on, uh, I noticed that that opportunity wasn't there. I, uh, of course, took other, other employment and continued my work on the broadcast side with the, with the Thai Cats and had lots of fun. But this opportunity came up via the NBL, believe it or not, because Richard Pecco, who at the time was owner of the, the River Lions in the NBL, uh, he, he befriended me and we started talking. And we talked about ways um, that I could assist. And unfortunately, that didn't work out in the NBL, or fortunately, because now it finds me in a position uh, where I'm able to build and mold and shape, along with all my team, uh, you know, what is now the CBL and, and where we find ourselves with an opportunity to to be back before anyone else and to do it in a pretty profound way. Well, let's talk about being back, because we've seen a lot of leagues make the tough decision to say, you know, we're not going to do it. We can't do it. They either ended their season or they have postponed their season or they're still waiting to make a decision. Take us through the process that allowed you to say the words return to play yesterday. Well, it's a it's a pretty lengthy process. I'll, I'll shorten it down. But we're, I knew that we were in an enviable position because we're a league that's predominantly Canadian. About uh, you know we mandate seventy percent of our rosters. We're, we're up to about eighty five, ninety percent at this point. Um, so we knew with everything going on in the world and, and the fact that our top players that are generally overseas in that March time period, they ended up having to come home. So we knew we had a captive audience uh, at home. We knew they were safe. And, you know, we started looking at ways, how do we continue a season? So we were supposed to tip off at the beginning of May. We thought we had some time from, you know, the announcement in around mid-March to, to buy some time and wait. And we, we started working on little subtle plans along the way. And as the days came closer to May, we realized, okay, we're not going to play a regular season. And we, number one, have to throw the concept of fans right out the window. So knowing that, what can we manage from a, you know, expense perspective that makes sense, that we're comfortable with, that gets our players on the court, that gets a, you know, a return-to-play atmosphere for everyone. And we settled on the, the Hub City, which is now uh, St. Catharines, and we, we mobilized. And we just you know, got in touch with the players, gave our ideas and concepts and the coaches, and everybody was on board. And, in, and then we go to the next level, which is getting in front of government officials, both federally and provincially, and talking to health advisors and chief medical officers and venues and broadcasters. And it was a long process, but each day I felt like we made some headway. And when I stand here today, it's, I, I, it's kind of remarkable that we're here because it took a lot of effort, but it's obviously paid off. Mike Morreale joining us, former CFLer and now the commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League as we talk about a return to play, and Mike hinted at it, this is not a resumption or a beginning of a schedule. This is a return to play, but give us an idea of what the vision is for what that play will be, Mike. Yeah, so we'll have all teams uh, coming into town around the 14th of July. They'll, they'll uh, gather in St. Catharines will have one team that will play out of their home uh, their home market or pre- do the training camp with the home market. It just made more sense. And then uh, those guys will all be working together uh, team by team and going through a training camp period up until July 24th. And then July 25th is when the competition days start. And it's a 17-round-robin tournament. Each team plays each other once. Uh, we, at the end of that uh, round-robin tournament, it lasts about 10, 12 days, We'll reseed everybody, uh, or actually we'll, we'll 
get rid of the seventh team. They'll be going home. And then one and two will go off to the semis. And we will re-rank the, the remaining four to play in the quarterfinals. And then those play the, the winners go on to play in the semis. And those winners go on to play in the championship that will be played on August 9th. So it's a, uh, a few-week uh, kind of schedule, a couple weeks that will play 26 games in total, and they'll all be uh, able to be viewed live on CBC digitally and internationally as well, and we'll be making some more announcements uh, in the coming week or so with uh, some, some other broadcast news. Interesting, because that's always the thing. If you are a league that is not named the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball or National Football League, CFL, there's not really a TV deal to turn to. And if you're a gate-driven league, there isn't really a way to do a gate these days. So in terms of, of the the financial factors that go into this, do those deals, those TV presentations that you're talking about, do they assist on the financial side at all? Well, there's definitely a, a rights fee portion of it. It comes nowhere uh, close to uh, obviously paying for the, the tournament, which is uh, quite expensive, expensive, as you might imagine. Uh, players take up the, the bulk of that expense, but so does the lodging and the per diems and the venues. So it is a well over a, a million-dollar event, multi-million-dollar event. But, you know, it's, it's strategic in how we're doing it. And I, and I think we, we understand that if we can do it safely, which we absolutely believe we can, and, and so do the other powers that be, that we'll set ourselves up to be um, a team or a league to watch, and not only watch domestically, but watch, you know, internationally. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a player first guy. I, I was a player, so I understand it. And I want to get the, I wanted to get these guys back on the court. I wanted to get them paid. I wanted to get them game film. I wanted to do everything I could without you know sacrificing the league. So, in my discussions with our owner, it's like this is an investment in our future. I think the payoff will be substantial, both from a, a player relations point of view, but also from a marketing and awareness point of view. We're talking with Mike Morreale, commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, which is looking at a return to play. What instructions do the players and the coaches and the team personnel get from a health standpoint? Yeah, so we've we've obviously created some very stringent protocols that involve uh, testing, involve um, social distancing, uh, sanitization, and other uh, other uh, measures. It also includes, you know, the use of, of safe sites or zones, one being our accommodations partner, one being our training facility, and the other one being the competition venue, and just ensuring that the only people that are involved and they enter the buildings have gone through the protocols to get there. And then it's the constant and daily screenings and updates, and even to the smallest degree of issues, we just want to make sure we have a handle on it and and we're doing things properly, and, and I believe we can. I really do. It's not without risk, but we're in a situation not like uh, not like what's happening in Florida or Arizona or Texas, etc. We, you know, Niagara region in total has about as of yesterday was 26 active cases in the whole region. So, you know, they've got a great handle on it. They're comfortable with it. We're comfortable with it. But there is that. You know, the the point is you got to protect yourself, and the players will have to do that as will myself and the coaches and everyone else involved. Do you tell them, hey, no going out at any point, or do you get that stringent? I, I try to make them aware that they will stand out, 
And, you know, so be careful what, where you're going, what you're doing. Make sure you're wearing your mask, you're, cover, you're doing the protocols, because, you know, um, it's important for not only their safety, but everyone's safety. But they will be allowed some uh, flexibility, and I think that's only appropriate given the fact that, you know, the residents and the people in the community will have the same ability to, to do things as well. But it's going to be limited because, truthfully, you know, it, it's the smart thing to do. Well, Mike, it's been great speaking with you. I enjoyed watching you in the Canadian Football League for years, and I wish you the best of luck in this venture. And, hey, you're, you're potentially bringing back some sports, which a lot of us are missing in a big way right now. So good luck with everything. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Take care. You too. That is Mike Morreale. He starred with the Hamilton Ticats and the Toronto Argos and now has moved to basketball in the Canadian Elite Basketball League that he had some involvement on the NBL of Canada side and eventually he's become the commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. And this is one of those tests. And, you know, Mike's a straight-up guy. Is there risk? Yeah. Yeah, there is. But they've got 26 active cases right now in the Niagara region. They're hoping to see those continue downward. It isn't like you're trying to start somewhere where you've got hundreds of cases, thousands of cases. I know one is enough to ignite the flame and the flame care. Yes, we're all aware of that. But eventually, we're going to have to look at situations like this. It exists in the grocery store. Is it possible that we go to the grocery store in order to buy ourselves some celery, paper towel, and maybe... Uh, you know, a, a thing of beef jerky or whatever it is you want to buy, and you encounter someone with the virus, yeah, that that's a thing. That's a possibility. So eventually, where do we balance that? And that's something that we're dealing with within our own social circles, too. And as much as I might jump up and down, I've, I've got to reel myself in and say, okay, you've got to count on people using common sense. You've got to count on people doing the right thing in the right way. Is everybody going to? No. Of course not. But you have to count on just about everybody doing it. And then, you know, you you count on making sure that you're aware of what you need to be aware of. So in trying this, as Mike outlined, it's, um, you know, a million-dollar venture to bring in this round robin, this is a young league. They're looking for exposure. They're hoping to get that on both a national and an international level. And we'll see how it goes for them. And and could that be something that other leagues look at, whether it be the Canadian Hockey League, which houses the OHL, or the NBL of Canada, or OUA or OCAA Sports, or the GOJHL? Absolutely. Those leagues are going to be watching very closely what happens Canadian Elite Basketball League. Our first guest on London Live today may not have had an off, but you know what? They've been doing a remarkable job in Prince Edward Island in making sure that the spread of COVID-19 is minimal. And right now, that job has been done so well that we have to go back to, and these are my numbers, and I I hope they match because I hope I'm giving you accurate information, but we're about to find out. We have to go back to April the 28th, April 28th. So we're two days shy of two months to find the last new case of COVID-19 on the island. They have had 27 people 
greatly infected. They have no active cases right now. And it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Heather Morrison, the Chief Health Officer for the province of Prince Edward Island, to London Live. Dr. Morrison, thank you so much. I know you've got a busy day, so we won't talk long, but it's great to hear from you. Well, it's nice to be here. We are looking for positives all over the place. In Ontario, we, we kind of get these little, hey, that looks good, and then the next day it's, whoa, what about that? So we're in the midst of a, hey, that looks not too bad, 111 new cases of COVID-19, better than the 500-plus that we were dealing with. But let's find out how things have gone in PEI. How do you think you have been able to go almost two months without a new case? Well, I mean, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, Certainly, we've been fortunate. As you mentioned, we've had uh, these 27 cases. All our cases were related to either international travel or domestic out-of-province travel. And we had really good adherence to the public health measures. And um, so... Some of it has been because of behavior and, and some of it has been uh, um, some good fortune and I appreciate that. Uh, we've also put some additional restrictions in place uh, because uh, it was a risk of importation of cases. So we have had um, more restrictions at our points of entry and we are geographically a bit unique uh, in that way so we were able to do it. Absolutely. Now, how many restrictions are still in place to ensure that you stay how you are in PEI? Well, you may have heard that uh, recently we've announced an Atlantic bubble. So um, as of next Friday, there will be movement uh, between the Atlantic provinces where people can go to those provinces uh, who are residents uh, of those provinces, uh, basically, and will not need to self-isolate. But up until uh, next week, we've had uh, fairly uh, restrictions in place from people coming from any province uh, or territory or internationally that they would have to self-isolate. And that will continue for those outside of Atlantic Canada. Uh, The other thing I think we did that was a little bit unique Anyone who came into the province for any reason that needed to self-isolate, we actually um, had, we called them every day for 14 days to ask them if they needed support during the period of self-isolation to make sure they weren't sick, uh, make sure they understood what self-isolation actually meant. And uh, so that has been thousands and thousands of calls that have been made over the last uh, number of weeks. Wow. But in talking with people, what has that done? Does it help the accountability factor where they're saying, okay, I, I, I get it, I'm, I'm staying home? Yeah. Well, I think uh, it, it helps make sure people understand uh, self-isolation, and I think it helps other islanders in some ways feel safer that um, people are staying in self-isolation and that we're doing all we can uh, to follow up on those who need to self-isolate. So I think it's been both. And and then, again, we've not had outbreaks, uh, thankfully, and we've not had anyone hospitalized. Uh, we've had no deaths. And so it, it puts us in a, a fairly unique position of, of really wanting to keep it that way um, as much as possible. 
We are talking with Dr. Heather Morrison, Chief Health Officer for Prince Edward Island, where they have not had a new reported case of COVID-19 going back to April the 26th. So I think everybody wants to know, does that mean that the island is kind of open for business, or are you still being a little bit cautious on your immediate province? I think we're we're still cautious I, um, in, in many ways. Um, but understanding that uh, we also have to uh, have movement uh, in and out of our province um, and more movement. Uh, we're heading into the tourist season, uh, which is very important for our province. And uh, and I think that's why the Atlantic bubble will certainly help in that regard. But those who are from outside the province, they do need to have a pre-approval travel um, and fit into one of those pre-approval travel streams um, before coming to Prince Edward Island if you're coming from outside Atlantic Canada. As far as, say, stores or restaurants, how are they operating on the island right now? Um, Actually, they are pretty well all open um, as of, uh, certainly as of today. We've had our restaurants open since the 1st of June uh, for in-room dining and uh, patios. And most of the services have been open over uh, the last number of weeks. So, uh, of course, they're open with all the same measures that I know are in place across the country with uh, physical distancing and enhanced cleaning and enhanced hygiene and screening. So, um, again, uh, like everywhere in the country, we're... um, uh, hoping that things go really well and uh, continue to go well for not only in Prince Edward Island, but, uh, but for Canada. Absolutely. Now, are you open to capacity where you can say as long as everybody's physically distanced, you can have uh, as many people as you want in your restaurant or, or in your store? No, we've we've not uh, gone that, that uh, far at this point in time. We have uh, limits um, on many of the... Places so our mass gathering number for, for instance, a wedding or a funeral as of today is fifty. Also, an additional uh, fifty people would be um, considered if it was, for instance, a church that was um, large enough to accommodate um, two groups of fifty. So um, it's uh, not totally back to to quote-unquote normal, and that, I think, will be a very long time, but uh, uh, this has been our stepwise progression, and uh, we do so carefully, cautiously, um, but optimistically. Well, you're an example of hope for everybody else, and it's great to hear how you are handling this, even though, you know, I don't know how we would tell people in Ontario, hey, we haven't had a case since April 26th, but we still want to remain careful. So congratulations (laughs) to you and everybody who is on the island right now for following along. Dr. Morrison, it's been tremendous speaking with you. Please keep up the good work and stay safe. Thank you very much. Take care. That is Dr. Heather Morrison. Chief Health Officer for Prince Edward Island. And one of the reasons why we wanted to talk with Dr. Morrison was simply to outline, hey, this can work. But at the same time, think about the attitudes that we have in our province right now. And I'm not saying everybody in PEI is following along in line and doing all the the things that Dr. Morrison is suggesting. I, I think we'd be foolish to believe that. Humans are humans. But they're not opening things wide 
and they haven't had a case in two months once we hit Sunday. So if they don't have a case today, and they haven't yet, they don't have a case tomorrow, and if they don't have a case Sunday, that's two months. And yet, they are still saying, no, no, you can't come in and just act like you did in December of 2019. No, that's not what we're doing. We are still adhering to everything because we know the virus is still out there. I don't know how we would pass that. If you, We still have active cases in Ontario, and you've still got people going, Woo! Yeah, there's no cases. We're fine. You're fine until you're not. But in PEI, they're still laying it out that, yeah, the virus is still out there, so we're still going to be careful. They're able to eat inside a restaurant. They are able to go inside stores, sure. But overall, they're still sticking to guidelines they're still promoting guidelines and they've been case free since april 26th good on them you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three 